So it's Father's Day, and I just have some facts here that I thought were pretty neat about Father's Day. There are currently over 70 million fathers in America. That's a lot. And in the Catholic countries of Europe, Father's Day has actually been celebrated since the early Middle Ages. It's a pretty long time. Our nation's first Father's Day was celebrated on June 19th in 1910 in the state of Washington. That's all the facts I got. <laughs> but I just wanted to say something because Father's Day is an important day. It's a special day. And I wanted to say to all the men in here that have been there for me and supported me and prayed for me and kind of been in that role, I just wanted to say thank you. And I also want to say thank you to everyone in this church that has loved on me and prayed for me since the day I walked through those doors many years ago. Thank you all. It made a huge difference in my life. So today we're talking about temples. And when I first hear the word temple, my mind went to like, the Tibetan mountains, you know, like a high up spot where monks are, but that's actually a monastery. We're not talking about those today. So, what is a temple? I have, somewhere I have the definition of a temple, but that's not really important. The original temple that Israel had was the tent of meeting. It was actually a tabernacle, and Exodus 26 describes it in pretty great detail. Talks about the dimensions, the materials used. Just God was very specific about it, and for good reason, because that was where he dwelled on earth. So it had to be perfect, because he's perfect and holy. So what was the temple for? Well, it was for worship. It was where people would worship God. It was where the priests would offer sacrifices for forgiveness of sins and thank offerings, just thanking God for everything he had done and given them. And it was also the Lord's physical dwelling place in our world. The tabernacle was a symbol of what was soon coming, though. The Bible teaches us that there are three different temples. The first one was Jesus. The second one is us, a.k.a. the church, or the believers. And the third one, and the most awesome one in my opinion, is going to be heaven. And I say that that one's the most awesome one in my opinion because Jesus will also be there. So he's included in that. And, you know, that's great. We're going to have a lot of scriptures today, so I'm just going to start reading some. Why was there so much about temples in the scripture because it was a symbol of what was coming later so the first one we're going to talk about is Jesus in the past tense he was the fulfillment of everything from the Old Testament as a child he visited the temple and made whips and cleared it out several times because there were people selling doves and animals and he didn't like that. That wasn't the purpose of it. So, we're going to read some scripture now. 
John 2, 18 to 22, says, So the Jews said to him, What sign do you show us for doing these things? Jesus answered them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews then said, It has taken 46 years to build this temple, and you will raise it up in three days? But he was speaking about the temple of his body. When therefore he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. When Jesus was on trial in Mark 14, 57 to 58, it says, And some stood up and bore false witness against him, saying, We heard him say, I will destroy this temple that is made with hands, and in three days I will build another not made with hands. Jesus was God with us. John 1.14 says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. That literally means tabernacled among us. Jesus is literally God's presence, full of forgiveness and the object of true worship. We find all the purposes of the temple in Jesus. So he did away with anything symbolic, basically, and he is the high priest according to the New Testament, and he is the ultimate lamb of God that takes away the sins of everyone in the world, and according to John the Baptist, the only mediator between God and man. <clears throat> in 1 Corinthians it says, he is the only man who was rightly worshipped. Hebrews 1.6 says, and again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. Matthew 14, 33 says, And those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly you are the Son of God. His disciples worshipped him. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Again, they worshipped him. Luke 24, 52, and they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. Philippians 2, 9 through 11, therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord to the glory of God the Father. So everything about the temple was fulfilled in Jesus, and he replaced the temple in 70 AD. It was destroyed by the Roman general Titus, who had become the emperor. So that covers number one, which is Jesus in past tense. Number two is the believers. That's us. Jesus is God with us. But the body of believers is God's presence in us. It was really bad when COVID hit because we weren't able to gather and fellowship and, and be together. And, you know, that's a really important part of the church, just being with other believers. And it's just really special when you get to come together. So when we couldn't, it, it kind of took a real big toll. I know for me it did. 
and I really missed that. And I'm glad we're back, able to meet again. Very glad. Because we are the church. We are the bride of Christ and the body of Christ. I mean, this is God's thing in this world. We are. 1 Corinthians 3, 16-17 says, Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy, and you are that temple. 1 Corinthians 6, 19-20 says, Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with the price. So glorify God in your body. I always like that, the bought with the price part, because he did pay a huge price for us. Acts 2, 1-4 says, When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So, pretty interesting, but as soon as the flaming tongues came down and the Spirit rested on them, they immediately went to work. You know, God gave them something, and instantly they started on task for him. So when he gives us something to do, we, we have to respond and do what he wants us to. So that covers our second point, which is the believers, or us. The third one is heaven, the future temple. And just, Adam and Eve's sin was paradise lost. I mean, we... We can't imagine what paradise was like. We can try to, but, I mean, no one has ever seen perfect other than Adam and Eve, and then it was taken away. No one else has ever seen it since. I mean, we, we had people that saw Jesus, and he was a perfect man, but they never saw a perfect world. But when we get to heaven, we will see paradise, and it will be perfect. And what an unimaginable joy to finally be with Jesus in heaven. I have a note written right here that says, can't wait for that day. I don't know about y'all, but see, it's right there. <laughs> so Jesus was God with us, the Holy Spirit is God in us, and heaven is us with God. Revelation 21, 9 through 12 says, it's titled the New Jerusalem. Then came one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues and spoke to me, saying, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city of Jerusalem coming down out of the heaven from God. Having the glory of God, its radiance like a most rare jewel, like a jasper clear as crystal. It had a great high wall with twelve gates, and at the gates twelve angels, and on the gates the names of the twelve tribes of the sons of Israel were inscribed. I like to pause right there for a second. Um, Revelation has a lot of things that, there's a lot of descriptive terms in it, and we're fixing to get into, first off, some 
gemstones that I can't really pronounce, so we're just going to say really fancy gemstones. And we have to remember that when he's trying to describe what he saw, he's trying to apply the most extravagant, beautiful things that we've ever seen in this world, but it really can't do justice to... So, you know, he's trying to grasp for anything he can to describe what he's seeing, and so this is what it came out as. The wall was built of jasper, while the city was pure gold, like clear glass. The foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with every kind of jewel. The first was jasper, the second sapphire, the third agate, the fourth emerald, the fifth onyx, the sixth carnelian, the seventh chrysolith, and the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth chrysophaz, the eleventh something, and the twelfth amethyst. And the twelve gates were twelve pearls. Each of the gates made a single pearl. And the street of the city was pure gold like transparent glass. That just sounds so beautiful. And I saw no temple in the city. Hold up, what? For its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it. For the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. And its gates will never be shut by day. There will be no more night there. They will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations. But nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. I don't know about y'all, but I'm glad my name's in that book. So in heaven, we're going to worship and celebrate. We have the ultimate forgiveness. We're no longer battling sin. I mean, everything will be as it should have been. And, I mean, it's just great whenever I feel down in the dumps or just, you know, because we all get that way. I just like to think about heaven and, you know, no matter what really happens here, we're going to be there someday together and it's going to be great so how does this apply to us in current day 2022 well this is talking about us again the church first peter 2 1 through 10 a living stone and a holy people so put away all malice and deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander like newborn infants long for pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying a stone in Zion, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. 
they stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So we're being built up as stones, and you put stones together to make things like temples. So we're all a part of the temple, and we're all, we all have a part and a place in that. There's two kind of people, those who have received Christ and are a temple, and those who haven't believed and are not a temple. He is the cornerstone that you are built on or a stumbling block in your way. But that's Jesus' job, not ours. Our job is to be a sacrifice every day for him. Romans 12.1 says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. And... There's only two kind of people in God's eyes. There, there is no white, black, Latin, none of that. All he sees is believers and non-believers or unbelievers. 1 Peter 2, 11 through 12 says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. It's hard sometimes to be different, but we are called to be different. And when we're, we have to be in the world because we live in it, but... We're supposed to be different from everybody else and, and live lives that when people see us, they notice like there's something different about them and I can't really figure it out. And, or maybe they have figured it out, you know. But either way, we're, we're called to be different. 1 Peter 2, 13 to 15, submission to authority. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. At this time in history when, when Peter wrote this, uh, Nero was the emperor of Rome, and he had some crazy sexual immoral issues going on, and at night, he would light the streets with Christians in cages on fire. And he would set people on stakes and impale them, Christians specifically, not just people. And, you know, that's a three to four day horrific death, real slow. And that's what was going on when Peter said, hey, you need to submit to these people because that's the will of God. Because he was the ruler, so that's... That's pretty hard. When, when you think about it like that, Biden's not that bad. 
Gas is a little bit expensive, but I don't have to worry about seeing any of y'all on fire. That's pretty good. 1 Peter 2, 16-17 says, Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. So basically, we're stones built into the house of God, which is pretty relevant in our culture right now. Here at Cross Plains, we don't avoid issues, but we know that the Bible is the ultimate authority, and we filter everything through the Bible. So if, if ever we need answers to questions or anything, then we dig into the Word of God for answers, and that's what we should always do. We have to filter everything through that. That's what true wisdom is. We don't need to look for another voice, another opinion, and there's plenty of those out there. Just pull up Facebook for a minute. We just need to know the Word of God because you can't go wrong with that. Christians grieve when injustice happens. We should ask questions, show compassion. We should be about justice more than anyone. Vote for those who uphold justice. We grieve when lawlessness takes place, though. The world is a mess, and our opinion isn't going to change anything. But our surrender to God and seeking the wisdom of the Father will change everything. Mainly us, or me, or you. And that change is what's going to make a kingdom impact out there in this dark world. For those of us who know Jesus and know how good he is, we're called to go to the people who don't know him and the people who think they know him but don't and the ones who've never heard of him. And we need to share with them what we know and what we've learned and the truth. So why is there so much about the temple? Because it points to Jesus and it points to the Holy Spirit within us and it points to our future hope, which is heaven. We need to be bearers of God's presence, and God wants more worshipers, more of his people, more in his chosen race, and more names in his book of life. So we need to try not to be distracted and to always be on mission, loving people and praying for God to send awakening to our nation. 2 Corinthians 7, 11-15 says, for see what earnestness this godly grief has produced in you, but also what eagerness to clear yourselves, what indignation, what fear, what longing, what zeal, and what punishment. At every point you have proved yourselves innocent in the matter. So although I wrote to you, it was not for the sake of the one who did the wrong, nor for the sake of the one who suffered the wrong, but in order that your earnestness for us might be revealed to you in the sight of God, Therefore, we are comforted. And besides our own comfort, we rejoiced still more at the joy of Titus, because his spirit has been refreshed by you all. For whatever boasts I made to him about you, I was not put to shame. But just as everything we said to you is true, so also our boasting before Titus has proved true. And his affection for you is even greater, as he remembers the obedience of you all how you received him with fear and trembling. So in the temple of God, 
which is me and you and all of us, our prayers matter. And God hears them and he's listening. You know, it says that the prayer of a righteous man is a powerful thing. It is. God's always listening and our prayers do matter. We need to be praying for our nation. We need to be praying for all the people in leadership, for Biden and his whole team. I mean, everyone. We need to be praying for unbelievers to see Jesus in us, for people that don't know him to be put in our paths so that we can tell them what we know and the truth of the gospel. We need to always pray for these things. So, we are God's temple. And we started at the very beginning, the tabernacle or the tent of meeting, and we've come all the way back around to us. We have a purpose, a job, and a mission to do for the Lord. And that starts every morning when we get up. Let's pray. God, thank you again for today and just for everyone in this room and their hearts. And Thank you, Lord, for everything you've ever done for us, for forgiving us, for Jesus. Help us, God, to be living examples of Christ's love in the world when we go out and help people to see something different in us. Show us opportunities where we can share the gospel with people or maybe just help love on someone, even if it doesn't make sense to us. We pray for those opportunities, and we pray that we see them. Thank you for everything again. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.